0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Grow It Minnesota. I'm your host, Mary Shear. Today's guest is one of my favorite Minnesota gardeners, Meg Cowden of Seed to Fork. She has a new book out called Plant, Grow, Harvest, Repeat, and it's all about succession planting and how to get the most from your food garden no matter where you live. It's a fun interview, and we're going to have a book giveaway. So stay tuned till the end for some details on that. Today my guest is Meg Cowden, author of Plant, Grow, Harvest, Repeat. Meg has been on the podcast before and is a contributor to Northern Gardener and is a fellow Minnesota gardener. So first, Meg, just congratulations on publishing a book. I know you've been working on it a long time.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's a little surreal to have it be a thing that's now out in the world that I held so close. Yeah. So I'm very excited. And I'm so excited to be here and talk about it with you.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. That's great. So let's just first you garden in the Twin Cities suburbs. Um, Tell people a little bit about how many, how much space you're gardening in and how you're doing it in, in terms of like raised beds or big, large beds? What, what what does your garden look like if people have not
1: seen it? Yeah. So our garden, we are out in the Western Twin Cities metro. We are on um, well over two and a half acres. And the really intensive food gardening happens inside of a deer fence, which is surrounded by prairies that we've planted. And it is, I don't have actual measurements, Mary, but um, I'm gonna say it's maybe an eighth of an acre or more that's now fenced in. Um, So we could call it a quarter acre, but I don't have exact, that feels a little generous, but it might not be. Um, It is a mixture of raised beds. The raised beds are a little unique. We transitioned to raised beds last year. It was all in-ground beds. It's a mixture of perennials and, um, and lots of annual beds. And we went to raised beds. They are irregularly shaped because we garden on a hill which is probably one of the hardest things to um, convey in videos and photography. Everyone who sees our garden online and then comes for a garden tour um, really is struck by how big of a hill. Like the, we have blueberries and I call it blueberry hill because the, the grade really drops off. So, right. um, But the raised beds are, vary in lengths from maybe 10 feet to like 50 or 60 feet, some of the longest ones are. So, And then we also have some metal beds that are triangular in shape that were kind of a remnant of how we designed the garden from the beginning.
0: Right, right. And it's very pretty. And people, of course, can go to your Instagram page at Seed to Fork or your website and see lots of cool pictures of how the garden looks. And the topic of your book is essentially or they, they describe it as succession planting. So there's a lot more in it than that. But in terms of harvesting from your garden, when do you start eating from a garden each year? And when do you eat the last of the prior year's produce?
1: Yeah, well, I've got spinach that needs to be harvested right now. That was something I sowed last fall that overwintered uncovered. I've got some of it that, um, is greening up in a bed that isn't covered. And another row is in one of the places where I put my low tunnel up in the end of February. And that is actively growing. I mean, I looked at it yesterday and it's ready to be harvested. So I could technically go out today and harvest the spinach and pair it with any number of things that are, we're still eating. So those years overlap. Constantly, right? Um, right. We still have daikon and beets, tons of potatoes, carrots. We've got lots of canned um, tomatoes still, and ketchup and pickles, and we've got the last of our winter squash. I'm still trying to eat it. No one else. Tons of onions. Um, <laughs> we've got cornmeal. The list goes on. Sesame yeah. seeds from last fall's harvest. So we're definitely still eating out of our 2021 garden, um, yeah. and. Uh, In earnest, you know, the things I'm going to plant this season, like I've got some radishes that are germinating in my low tunnel right now, I usually can get a harvest by the end of April, which includes some of our earliest asparagus and some, you know, Asian greens and other things that we transplant early.
0: Right. So it's basically produce year round, essentially, what you're getting.
1: Yes. Although when I think of produce, I think of more as like the leafy, tender things. So I'm really Mm -hmm. craving that we're definitely more on the root vegetables, the starchier things that keep well, right? Store well. I mean right. homemade cornbread's great and all, but it's not a garden salad, you know? <laughs> no. So
0: no, but it's very good with honey.
1: <laughs> it is delicious with honey, especially my friend's honey, who she sent me some honey. So yes, yes. Yes.
0: Okay. So talking about the book, you know, in the beginning of the book and kind of the introductory chapter, you talk about how your gardening style is actually inspired by prairies and forests. And I know you have a degree in forestry or something like that, but talk a little bit about how those natural landscapes, with those which those of us in Minnesota are very familiar with, have influenced the way you garden.
1: Yeah, this was really, this is the crux of the book. This came to me, this idea of really st- using succession on the landscape as a lens through which we can all examine our gardens and our gardening practices. Our gardens are basically mini forests, right? I mean, a kale plant is akin to an oak tree, an open grown oak tree or things like that. So it was definitely my influence through my education of studying forest management out in Oregon. And, you know, I have all of these images and these experiences of being in an old growth forest where The canopy, so the openness of the trees is constantly changing and shifting, and the plants that are in community with each other are changing because of the different light levels. And it really is so similar to how tightly planted our tomatoes are. And if one dies and there becomes a gap, and what do you do with that space where there's a little more light? With prairies, we have this amazing array of flowers that start very early in the season and go all the way late past frost and that is i think prairies are one of the most instructional ecosystems that we have as gardeners because it offers a diverse amount of flower types across a long window of time and so it is providing a huge amount of diversity for the insect population, right? The bird population, the mammals, and it's it's feeding them all for longer naturally. So I look at that like, wow, in the spring for our gardens, Mary, what are we doing? We're planting very different things than we would be planting in July, right? And so it's that same parallel that I see as like a really beautiful connection and a way for all of us to think more broadly in terms of what we can and could and should, I would argue, be planting, especially in our gardens in Minnesota, where so many people think of the gardening season as being, you know, May to October.
0: Yeah, if that.
1: I was going to say, I'm trying to be generous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, one of the other things I really liked about the book is that you don't, um, you have just a ton of options of things people can do. But you don't really gloss over the fact that to do everything you're doing, you know, to start harvesting in April and be continuing to eat off what you've grown in March, it's not easy. That's a lot of work. But if someone wanted to start doing more succession planning than they're doing now, what are sort of the three things you think a beginning gardener could sort of start with?
1: Yeah. I think the first one plays into what we were just talking about in terms of diversity. I think the easiest way to succession plant for someone who's beginning is to branch out beyond green beans, tomatoes, cucumbers, you know, and peppers and really look at what other foods you can grow. Because when you do that, you are naturally going to spread your harvests out. You are going to be making your garden more disease resistant. Um, And you'll be able to experience new foods that you maybe wouldn't have thought of growing in your home garden. So the more variety you can plant in your garden, the better. Now, I say that with a a caution. In my book, I talk about interplanting and that there is like a line between growing everything you want or growing everything you're interested in. You have only so much space. So you have to be careful because if you plant things too densely, that will do the opposite. Things won't grow well. You'll get disease, et cetera. Um, the second thing is interplant with flowers. And I think we'll probably talk about this again here in a few minutes, but flowers are a huge component of our food garden. And every year I I am adding different ways to add them to our garden. Um, like I, I like to interplant cosmos with my, my bushing, um, pickling cucumbers. And, you know, I always interplant sweet alyssum under my tomato trees. So I called them trees, like tomato plants. So everywhere you can put flowers in is a really great way to bring in beneficial insects, to bring in predatory insects, to give yourself beauty. I mean, it's a space you want to be in and make it as beautiful as possible. Um, And then the other really big thing, and this was something I didn't learn until much later in my gardening career, and I've gotten ever more Um, firm in this belief that more people should be doing it is if something's not working for you, pull it out. Like, don't just hang on to something because you planted it. If you've got a tomato plant in August and it's like, you don't like the way the tomatoes taste, it's okay. Cut it down and, you know, plant some daikon radish for fall or
0: something. One of the things that you, um, that I know you grow really well is brassicas. And a little personal note, I do terrible with process. So what are your secrets to growing uh, cabbage and broccoli and all of those kinds of uh, coal crops, I guess they call them, which are supposed to grow well here because it's a cool climate?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're like, we're in their latitude. We're in their sweet spot for where their native range is, right? In Europe. Um, Gosh, I, okay. I'll say number one, I grow almost exclusively hybrid varieties of these. So I have just started playing around with open pollinated cabbages up until now. I've really grown. I've tried open pollinated Brussels sprouts and I'll be honest, Mary, like the hybrids definitely size up better. I mean, this is what hybrids do. This is hybrids are for dependability. They're for farmers and larger scale growers so that they can have crops that are marketable. You know, so I definitely lean into the hybrid hybrid category. There's some amazing hybrid varieties of of cabbages, especially. Uh, I give them a lot of space. I space my cabbages about 24 inches on center. Like, that's, that's like the closest. So two feet apart. So that's not very close to
0: you. That is a lot of space.
1: Yeah. yeah. So space, I think, is one thing that a lot of people don't give it. Um, and our beds are really, really well amended. Uh, we top them with compost a good couple of inches every year. And then we also mix in a complete organic fertilizer to every hole. Um, and uh, that's it. But I think I would suspect that m- maybe sunlight could be causing yours to not size up the way you want if you're over.
0: Well, yeah, my garden's a little more shady than it's, sh- oh. than
1: I would like. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So that's true. Um, it's starting to yeah. snow, Mary.
0: Well, we live in Minnesota. Okay.
1: <laughs> <Just, laughs> it's like, no, the end
0: care. of March. We live in Minnesota. Like, so let's, let's talk about a few of the other strategies that you mentioned. And actually, I think this is one you use with the coal crops, which is you're starting seeds indoors all season or just about all season. Correct.
1: Yeah, this is where in the book, you you had mentioned that I don't gloss over how hard this is. Um, Yeah, I've got hundreds of plants right now. We are end of March here chatting. And I will start a flat of coal crops next week. So end of March. And then I'll start more. I start them three or four times indoors. So that Mm -hmm. every four to six weeks, I'm transplanting some more out um, until sometime in July. So, yes, the continual seed sowing is a huge part of my success. I am trying to question whether or not I need to start them inside. I mean, yes, here's the reason you want to start them inside. <clears throat> they do need some time to size up. Once your cabbage moths emerge, you know, the idea of using your garden as, you know, its own seed starting kind of bed. I love the idea and I'm really trying to work towards that. But I also know that we do have some cabbage moths and we do have to actively manage. Oh, yeah. And they will devour my cotyledons and it does happen even on my deck when I'm hardening them off I'll come out and I'll be like oh my god a moth came overnight and laid eggs you know
0: (laughs) right so you do protect the seedlings quite a bit by starting them indoors and then moving them outside over time
1: yes and when I'm outside I usually keep them protected with you know some mesh so that in theory the moths somehow find their way in I'm sure I'm a little lazy I'm sure I slip up here or there but um, yeah. But I really, Mary, I think it's I think it's the amount of amount of space you might be giving them.
0: So yeah. then, well, I have a small but, garden.
1: So here's the question yeah. with cold crops: is if you have a small garden, you have to really love cold crops to want to grow them because they really are a they're not a cut and come again. You know, no. Vining crops produce a lot more, and this is why they're such popular summer summer garden you know companions. And I get it, but. There is something really magical about, you know, like a a head of red cabbage lasts months, you know, in your fridge. I mean, they're, they're, they serve a different purpose. So.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe I need a bigger garden. That's always One more bed. (laughs) True. True. So one of the other things you talk about a lot that's a succession technique is interplanting. And we, you mentioned it briefly. So why don't you explain what interplanting means? I mean, it sounds very fancy, but I don't think it's really that. And and how you use it in your garden.
1: Yeah. So basically, if you break the word apart, it just means planting things between other things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, again, this is a nod to nature. Nature interplants everywhere, all the time. Uh, anywhere you look, I think a prairie would be one of the most beautiful interplanted ecosystems we know, and as Minnesotans, people can visualize that pretty easily. Um, I use it in a couple of different ways. I mean, so, and in my book, I go into a lot of detail about flowers are really the ultimate tool for interplanting. But I also, there's certain crops that I only interplant that I don't give their own space to because they don't need it. Like spinach, I interplant with my coal crops and my brassicas, and same with arugula and same with, you know, my quick round radishes um, and even cilantro. And I will interplant radishes with peas. So you think about when you, when you're interplanting two vegetables together, you're thinking about, again, going back to the forest, forests have what's called overstory, which is the very tops of the trees and how those trees come together and interact determines how much light gets below. So even if I'm looking at my cabbage and broccoli bed where I always line every other planting with, you know, a row of radishes or arugula, I'm thinking about the broccoli and the cabbage and how they will mature. And even though they're only going to grow to about 18 or, you know, inches, maybe they're going to create a canopy depending on how closely I put them together. And that is like a little fairy forest, right? So that canopy Mm -hmm. is going to impact what's growing in between. So you want to think about plant spacing when you're interplanting. And the same can be said for flowers. I mean, I do, I throw my sweet alyssum down under my tomatoes and they, by the end of the season, they are pushing out into my paths because the tomatoes are shading it quite a bit. And so they will reach. So you have to be careful. And so there's the timing aspect to that, which is radishes are going to mature in a month. But if my broccoli are going to mature in two months, I know that those radishes are going to have full sunlight before the broccoli gets tall enough and starts shading a little bit.
0: Right. And then you'll probably pick the radishes to, to give the broccoli more room.
1: Correct. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I
1: think yeah. the, rat, the the broccoli will take up the room either way. The, that overstory plant is going to take over the space regardless. Yeah. So you really right. want to time those correctly. So I, the interplanted faster crops, they're also cold hardy crops. So they go in first, you know, like I, I'm watching the 50-mile-an-hour winds today, and I'm like, I really should open my low tunnel and put some seeds down in there in between where my broccoli and cabbages are going to go in a few weeks. So um, you you, you stagger them as well, right, so that the maturity is not happening at the same time. You want it to happen at different times so that they all have optimal growing conditions.
0: Right. And you, I know because you've got the charts and stuff in the book, you must have a lot of records on how you – you know, where are you gonna put what or do you ever wing it? <laughs> or is it all planned out ahead of time?
1: I well, that's a good question. You mean like spatially what I do with my garden?
0: Yeah. It's all in my or, or just what's gonna go where. It's yeah.
1: it's in my head. I don't have a I don't have a plan. I mean it's it sounds crazy, but I am really visual, so I kind of can walk through the garden and know what went where in the years prior. The biggest things we rotate are our nightshades and um we always use certain beds for the very beginning of the season and so those because they're the highest up and they warm up the quickest like because of the hill so Mm -hmm. i kind of wing it mary but i do have kind of a sense of how much square footage we need at this point so we sort of know we plant you know x number of pounds of potatoes um and i know i plant about 30 pepper plants i mean you know but again, I'm not actually. Don't really write stuff down. I like to sort of wing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, you know, you know what's going to be too much for your family. And I will just note, you've got a couple of teenagers, so so yeah. they need more potatoes than those of us with just two people in the household. So. Yeah,
1: they would say less less cabbage and broccoli. But my husband, <laughs> I love eating cabbage and broccoli, so that's not happening anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that is kind of a thing for any gardeners. Think about what you like to eat, what your family's going to eat before you start, you know, throwing it down in the ground. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I, I think, well, that, that's one I think we all could continue to learn. I mean, I've got um, too many tomatoes already started because I have, you know, two of everything. And so only half of the 50 would be contenders for the garden, potentially. I don't know. It's tricky. It's true. There are. It's But you're right. If the clearer you can be with what you want to eat, the more rewarding your garden is going to be.
0: And let's talk a little bit about you know extending the season because I know you have um, row covers and hoop. You don't have a hoop house per se, or do you? But you've got a lot of things to. You've covered up some of your beds in order to get an earlier harvest. Um, What if for gardeners in the north, do you think it's better for them to work on getting an earlier harvest? or to try to extend the season on the other end of things? Yeah, I think fall.
1: both are awesome. But if I were to start, I we've always started with starting earlier, um, and mm-hmm. we really didn't start thinking about the fall garden until we were several years in here and really getting our you know heads around growing in Minnesota. Um, the reason I think starting earlier is better is because you're – In the fall, we're really at a harvest season, right? We're not, the growing days are shorter and shorter. And by November, things actually stop growing because there's not enough sunlight. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the spring, we are going through a phase of expansion. And I don't know about your listeners, but this is the time of year when I am itching to be outdoors. I want to be in my garden. And so I think we are naturally set up to want to be and grow along with what's about to explode in spring. And so I think the energy is there for us to expand in spring. And once you do, and if you do it with foods that are quick, like like I'm talking about the radishes and the you know spinach and the arugula, and if you plant even just part of your garden in that, it will turn over quickly and you could drop in your summer squash in June. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So right. getting more successions. I mean, that's the whole premise of the book is finding ways for people to you know fine tune what they grow and when they grow so they can grow more food for longer.
0: Right. And do you think that they pretty should we all be putting in some kind of a you know a covered structure or even a very small one is that something you really almost have to have in the spring?
1: No. I planted seeds uncovered last week and they're going to take a while to germinate, but um right. I always plant some things uncovered, but other things, I mean, I'll plant peas uncovered in early April here. And yeah, they might take 10 days to germinate, but they'll be up by the middle of April. And even if we get a foot of snow in April, they'll still survive it. So um, you do not need extraneous measures. You just need to reach for the right seeds at the right time. So, you know.
0: And do you have a minimum soil temperature? Because I know you have a great chart on what germinates when with the soil temperature in the book. Mm -hmm. Do you have a minimum soil temperature you wait for to start doing any of that?
1: Yeah, I like 45 degrees Fahrenheit at 1 inch for sowing. That's what I looked for for sowing my radishes and arugula and cilantro and pak choy last week. Um so, yeah, 45 is my minimum for my brassicas to go covered if someone wants to put up a low tunnel and warm their soil. I like to get 50 degrees at 6 inches and I use just a meat thermometer from my kitchen drawer to measure this. Yes. Fancy. Me too. <laughs> we don't we don't we, we don't need to buy another tool. I am so like Anti, we're not going to consume more things, people. We're going to use what we have. <laughs> yes.
0: You can You can wash that meat thermometer off. You can. And use it for both.
1: So, totally. Uh,
0: okay. So 45 degrees for the cooler stuff and then maybe up to 50 if you're putting it in a low tunnel.
1: Yeah, yeah. For like the brown. Yeah. Because the roots are going to be deeper. It.
0: Right. Because they're going to be plants. Their they're starts you're using, not a seed.
1: Right? right. And so with the seeds, they'll warm up as they right. as they get going.
0: Yeah. So, and keep speaking of soil, because you just mentioned that, how are you keeping, I mean, that's a lot of intensive planting. You mentioned you do do some, uh, rotating of crops. What else are you doing to keep that soil healthy?
1: We add compost. I mean, we will probably, I think we even top dress a tiny bit between planting sometimes, like after the brassicas are very heavy feeders. So we keep Mm -hmm. them well-fed and happy. And, um, We do, we top all of our beds every year with a couple of inches of compost. We do not till, we do minimum soil disturbance whenever we can. If the crop works to just cut at the base, we do, which is kind of a no till, no dig method to leave the roots intact, to help keep the soil as healthy as possible. So we try our best to feed the soil. We do cover cropping a little bit, but not a huge amount. I would like to experiment with that a little more since we have more space. So, um, we try to feed our soil as much as possible, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And do you have a lot of insect pressure, beside, you know, outside of what you might – of the the cabbage moths?
1: Uh, yeah, we have a growing population of annoying, yes, insects, like uh, the cucumber beetles. Yeah. Um, The three-lined potato beetle um, always Mm. has a party on my Cape Gooseberry. That's a real fun one to deal with every year. I mean, I just hand-pick them off, throw them in soapy water. Eventually, I get on top of them. Colorado potato beetles had a party in our yard last year when I was back east taking care of my dad. So I'm anticipating a bad year for those. Um, We... We have used like beneficial nematodes and things like that in the soil grass. Right. And I think this might be a year when we go for that again. I think that we had a problem with like root maggots our first year growing um watermelon radish here. And they were just had yeah. holes all over them. And um we sprayed beneficial nematodes and we they're unblemished and beautiful now. So um yeah. Yeah. it ebbs and flows though. I'm hoping that our cold winter. It's going to help knock back some of the insects. I have squash vine borers on the property now. They don't totally kill. Like, I mean, I could have, I had a squash plant, um, and I could tell there were squash vine borers in it, but it was still producing fine. But I sort of decided, well, I don't need to let those larvae overwinter. So I did pull it out.
0: Okay, just one other thing I wanted to talk about is fruit because you have some great suggestions for growing different kinds of fruits and even a fruit succession that a person can can put in their garden. Um, what's the easiest fruit for people to start with or one that's unusual that northern gardeners should be considering growing more?
1: Oh, good questions. um strawberries, I would say, are the easiest to grow. I mean, I am like they're they're maybe could be considered an aggressive weed in some people. I mean, they, I think- You do get quite a few, yes. I know, I think, and you have to manage them is the problem. They are so prolific that you have to cut back the the stolens. You have to manage them every year and and thin them out to have them continue to produce well, but they're just one big clone and they just keep cloning themselves exponentially every year. Um, I love June-bearing strawberries. They are, you know, one year here, we harvested 170 pounds. And we've expanded the amount of space we grow with strawberries now, but because of the change, we haven't gotten that 170 pound harvest again. Um, As far as unusual berries, we are still accumulating some unusual things. Like we are putting lingonberries in this year in a new part of the garden, so we're trying to, um, which is akin to a cranberry. So we are hoping. I don't know how they work. I think they. Flower in like September, which is so strange. They're like a late they're kind of um, like a ground. They're ground cover. Yes, really. yes. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Um, honeyberries are, continue to be a really interesting, and this is an early succession, like you talk about, um, like you said in terms of succession that comes around the same time as strawberries. So if people love their early fruits in June and early July. That would be a great one to consider. Um, apricots grow in Minnesota, which I think is wonderful. Um, And then, in terms of native edibles, I love my elderberry shrubs. They can be a little aggressive, but it is a hedge. It is a 10 foot hedge. I started with four bare root plants six years ago, and it is massive. And the the cedar waxwings found it a couple of years ago in the middle of August, and just my heart was beaming. I mean, it's a, it's, I can, I can harvest it. The birds can enjoy it, and I'm sure that they are spreading the seeds around the neighborhood, and that makes me happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, so um, we're running out of time, but I know you have some what's I wanted to ask you kind of what's new for you or what's coming up for you. Uh, going forward, are you going to work on another book or wh- where are you going next with all
1: this? Good. I got to give this book a year before I think about another book. I'm tr- I have other book ideas that I think I'd like to pursue, but I did launch a new garden community, a subscription based community called the Modern Garden Guild um, just earlier this month. And we are nearly 400 members so far. And I offer monthly Q&As to my garden members, and I'm taking them along for all the behind the scenes kind of daily um, garden tasks I'm doing. And I'm really shifting my focus of a lot of my blog posting to that community. So um, I'm very excited to be growing a new community of people. And they are, I mean, they range from zone two to zone 10, my members. So it's a really diverse range of growing zones as well as um, experiences. So it's been a really wonderful thing to have A new community in which to kind of grow and expand.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I'm also going to be doing a book giveaway over on Instagram because I have two copies. So I'm going to give one away. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to all the great stuff you have going forward, Meg. Thanks, Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much, Mary. It's always great to be here.
0: Wow. Great conversation with Meg. She is so knowledgeable. So if you'd like to get a copy of Plant Grow Harvest Repeat, I am going to be doing a giveaway over on Instagram. You can follow me at at growitmn, leave a comment there, and you'll be entered into the giveaway. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star review. That really helps me connect with other gardeners. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.